Welcome to Speed City with John Massengill, Bob Varsha, and Jonathan Green. It's the fastest hour on the radio, Speed City. All right, gearheads, welcome to the show. We just watched Max Verstappen win his 14th race of the season at the Formula One Qatar Grand Prix. This is John Massingale. I'm here in the studio in Austin, Texas, and joined by Mr. Bob Varsha. Jonathan Green is not with us. He's on another microphone uh, out at VIR today. Uh, but Chris Medlin is going to be joining us from Qatar here in just a few minutes with his microphone and sharp elbows. Mr. Varsha, I couldn't keep up with all the penalties and everything else going on <laughs> in that race today. Well, I, I think we all sensed that it was going to be somewhat chaotic, certainly a new format for all of us with the drivers all being required to uh, stay on one set of tires, no more than 18 laps. Um, I kind of agree with uh, what was said on uh, the Sky broadcast on, uh, on ESPN that it was oddly um, pleasant in a way because you knew when people were coming in based on what set of tires they were on. So it wasn't a question of, oh, is someone going to pit this lap? And you knew they had to come in, and they did. So it had that element to it. Yeah. Uh, I'd still like to know where all that time went that Max Verstappen lost on his last stint to, <laughs> uh, to the incredible effort by the McLarens to finish second and third with Piastri and Norris. Um, an interesting race in lots of different ways. And, of course, track limits – were in fact a huge factor, lots of five-second penalties. Um, and so it may take up a few minutes before we get the the ultimate uh, calculation of points and finish order. Yeah, I was doing the exact same thing. I kept looking at the F1.com, looking at the number of laps they'd done on their tires, going, okay, yep. I, I can do the math. I know exactly when they're going to come in. It, that was interesting and, and yeah, kind of a pleasant uh, change. So... But yeah, it was uh, plenty of excitement, especially right off the bat when Lewis Hamilton uh, took out himself and of the entire race and uh, spun he and George Russell, his teammate, right out, right off the track. And he immediately came on the radio and said, well, my teammate took me out. But then I just, <laughs> I just, like a good race driver does, right? <laughs> But I did yeah, just notice took the blame. Yeah, yeah. But I just noticed a, a tweet by Lewis Hamilton. He says, I've watched the replay and it was one hundred percent my fault and I take full responsibility. Apologies to my team and to George. Yeah, that's the yeah, number a, he broke the golden rule, didn't he? Well, you know, it, it's it's tough when you're in the race car. How many times have we heard drivers say, Well, I'll have to see the video, and that's what Lewis should have had his first thought. Yeah. Um, you know, you get a different perspective when you're in the car. It's disappointment as much as as the, uh, you know, the threat of injury in a situation like that kind of affects your judgment. And so they both thought, <laughs> although I will say George Russell made his point much more, <clears throat> shall we say, strenuously <laughs> that, uh, you know, for the second race of a row, Lewis Hamilton had collided with him. Uh, but you're right, Lewis Hamilton, like a champion, stepped up and said, oh, now I see what I did, and it's my fault. Well, I, I don't know how you could tell what uh, George Russell said, because all I heard was beep, 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 beep. Exactly. Come on. Yeah. I didn't hear His any actual words. therapist must have given that, that phrase, yeah, come on, say come on, rather than, you know, something really nasty. Although I should also note. Um, come on, man. Lewis, <laughs> Lewis lost 
not the wheel, but the tire came off his car, yeah. which is certainly not as bad as the wheel. But, um, you know, these these wheel assemblies are tethered on. It takes some kind of force to get that tire off the rim, I would think. I was watching that and I was watching the slow-mo replay and the tire mm -hmm. rolling and Hamilton sliding. The tire was ahead of him at that point, but they were both heading towards the grandstands. And, I'm, and you know, there's the fence yeah. there. But I'm thinking if right. I'm in those grandstands, you know, we all seen what a tire can do. It can hit the grandstand. I was thinking if it hit the grandstand and bounce off and hit Lewis's car and then go back into the grandstand. I mean, hit the fence and then go into the grandstand. I was a little worried about that for a split second. But but yeah, but, once you saw that it was just, uh, you know, it wasn't a whole wheel assembly. Right. It was just the tire looked probably much safer. Yeah. Well, if you if you do want to try to keep up with all of the five and ten second penalties for every team and every driver, uh, I would say the most, the right now, until the official word comes out, you can go to Chris Medlin's Twitter because he literally documented the entire race with about, I'm just scrolling through it, about a hundred tweets. Uh, so we'll have Chris, speaking of Chris here shortly and uh, try to get his take on all of this. But, He's down in medical having his fingers treated for exhaustion. <laughs> yeah, for calluses. Yeah, for blisters. Uh, speaking of medical center, Logan Sargent took himself out of the race, not feeling well. And James Vowles came on on the broadcast and said during the race and said that he felt like he was going to throw up in his helmet. And they showed him when he first pulled in and started to get out of the car until his team rightfully formed a shield of people so we couldn't see. Uh, he was struggling to get out of the car. It looked like to me, it looked like he was really slow to get out of the car. Yeah, well, he originally told his team when they said, "Okay, if it gets too bad, come on in," and he said, "No, I want to do this. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna try to go all the way." So it must have been really, really um, oppressive when he finally decided, "No, this isn't gonna work." Mm. Well, I really and you... we saw the drivers cracking their visors. Yeah, and George yeah. Russell forming a vortex with his hands to try to get air yeah. into the car. It, it's amazing what these guys can go through and what did alonzo say some people think they're not athletes yeah 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 just check their heart rates during these races and mm -hmm. and see the steady 160 or 170 or whatever the heck it is but uh, i heard alonzo say something to that effect too like this is the hardest race i've ever had and piastri yeah. said that when he came out of the car mm -hmm. and speaking of piastri did you hear what he said when during his podium interview <laughs> He he heard the the loudspeaker and he thought, are they are they giving me a penalty again, a track limits or something, or am I <laughs> am I being taken off the podium again, which which oh, yeah. happened uh, in qualifying? So on Friday, yeah, but Lando pointed out the McLaren pit stops were on another level, unbelievable. They had a one point eight second pit stop at the beginning of the show. Uh, there was some talk that Red Bull had done a one point eight in practice, yeah. which of course is very different than the pressures of a race situation, but McLaren nailed a 1.8 and they also had a couple of 2.1s. I think those guys are really got it down. Yeah. I was, um, I was snapping some photos of all those pit stops and I've got, I've got a phone full because of all the pit stops, but I think I saw a two. Oh yeah. Here's a, uh, here's a Piastri 2.0. Um, so yeah, I know they were, they were all over it today. So but uh, but yeah, let me just look through some of these. There's a Leclerc 2.1 and a Norris 2.5. So yeah, phenomenal day for the McLaren team. You know, another mm -hmm. podium, another double podium, I should say. 
And what about the interesting conversation that Lando was having? You know, that was a legitimate discussion, right? Because Lando was putting in the fastest laps right there with this, yeah. what, uh, about six or eight laps to go. And, and he was, you know, mm -hmm. behind Piastri and essentially arguing for, hey, let me, let me go for this. Because he was just, what, just outside DRS at that, at that point? Yeah. And he never, well, he did get him within DRS on the last lap, but there was only one DRS zone on this track. So, and it was on the front straightaway. So once you, you know, finished turn one, uh, you were out of the opportunity for DRS, except on the short run from turn 14 to the finish line. And it became pretty clear with a couple of laps to go, he wasn't going to get there. Yeah. Uh, nice day for Russell after that, though, to end up finishing fourth. Um, you know, I thought the car had been damaged. In fact, when they they uh, they came in for the pit stop, they were talking about possible wing damage, but they didn't replace the wing. And obviously the car was pretty fast because Russell ended up coming all the way to fourth place. So impressive for Russell, especially the, you know, the emotional roller coaster too. Well, yeah, I, I have a theory that uh, driving with a little bit of anger <laughs> can be good for a driver's performance. You know, he was just, throwing caution to the wind on some of those passes as he started to come forward. Once he recovered from the, from the early uh, pit stop that he needed to make following the contact with Hamilton, he was driving angry for a lot of that race. Mm. Well, let me just run it down. Max Verstappen wins the race, followed by the two McLarens, Piastri Norris, and then George Russell, <laughs> Charles Leclerc in fifth for Ferrari. Um, nice for them, considering Carlos Sainz did not start the race because of a fuel problem. Alonso up to sixth, Ocon seventh, Botas and Zhou Guan Yu in eighth and ninth, ninth, which actually, Bob, that eighth, ninth, we'll, uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. That, that's a significant finish for them today. Perez, 10th, after uh, some penalties for him. Lance Stroll, you know, I have to say that's a, a good day for him, all things considered, in 11th. Pierre Gasly, 12th. Alexander Albon, 13th. Kevin Magnussen, 14th. Yuki Tsunoda down to 15th. Hulkenberg, 16th. Lawson in 17th. He's lost some of his momentum, hasn't he? And then, of course, the yeah. Logan Sargent we talked about retired. Hamilton was out because of the crash, and Carlos Sainz didn't start the race. But going back to the Alphas, uh, Alfa Romeo team, they move ahead of Haas with those points today mm -hmm. because they got, uh, let's see, they got two, they got, <coughs> they got uh, two points. They got five points today. So that moves them ahead of Haas in the Constructors' Championship, and that is worth $10 million. Now you guys know why there's such a discussion towards even at the back end of the of the grid. There's lots of discussions going on because I'm going to hit the refresh on the um, constructor standings right now because going into today, Haas had 12, Alfa Romeo had 10, so uh, Alfa Romeo now has 16 and 12 for Haas. So yes, and you know that 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 that, that sounds like a small amount, but you know the way these teams are, that's a lot of points at this stage. No question. And McLaren has pulled up within 11 points yeah. of um, Aston Martin. You know, I was going to try to make this point in our pre-race show. If you look at the points for drivers and constructors, yeah, you know, Red Bull has been a phenomenon this year. They're running away with everything. Max Verstappen now leads by 200 points in the championship. The largest margin of championship victory in history was Sebastian Vettel at 155 points. So, Red Bull and Verstappen are going to smash all kinds of records in the next handful of races. But if you look beyond that, of the 22 drivers that have been in the car this year, only 
five drivers have more than a 25 point lead over their nearest rival behind them. Ah. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So, and if you eliminate Verstappen, there's only four drivers who cannot be theoretically caught in the time remaining. Uh, other than that, everybody has got somebody bearing down on them. And in the many, the constructors, I should say, it, it's very similar. I mean, there are huge battles, some of them worth tens of millions of dollars to the, uh, to the winning constructors um, that are yet to be fought out. And I hope we will all get to concentrate on some of those battles um, yeah. as we go forward to the end of this season. Yeah, I bet you TV producers will be a little more forgiving about not watching Max Verstappen and Red Bull now that they've won it all. And let mm-hmm. us see some of those battles. We saw some of those today. Uh, we saw, you know, the some of the Haas cars going at it. We saw Hulkenberg um, battling, having a nice battle until he literally found out right about that same moment when he had a time penalty for uh, track limits. So, but yeah, mm-hmm. that's a good point, Bob. I really like that. The fact that we, we've been saying this all year long, that if you just put a, a post-it note over Max Verstappen, it's been a very exciting season all up and down from, from that point down. So that's a good, yeah. really good point about the points, how they, how, especially that 25 point margin of a, of a victory like mm-hmm. that. But, but yeah, it, um, this race did not disappoint. There was plenty going on. And um, I'm just looking through the, uh, I was just, I was, I was looking for driver of the day because Oscar Piastri was leading. That. It was Piastri. It was. Okay. Yeah. Piastri with 27% of the vote. And I can so get behind be, that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And now, I mean, you know, don't, don't you know? Yeah. A rookie. I know it's, I'm starting to forget that because he's so <laughs> impressive, you know? Yeah. And what about the, the seas parting for him right at the beginning of the race when oh. the two Mercedes collided, literally the seas parted and Piastri is going, Hey, there's Verstappen right in front of me. And, and, you know, blasted yeah, past right. the, the, uh, the melee behind him then. And, and really yeah. basically ended up there, you know, stayed there, ended up there and stayed there the whole race, you know, with all the pit stops, of course, but that was That's nice a great to way see. to put it. The seas parted in front of him. Yeah. Yeah. And I had a couple other points I put in here and my notes that I wanted to talk about because uh, you know what? I'm going to wait for one of these um, that I put in the race is that Chris Medlin put up a poll about should we have an 11th team, you know, with the Andretti news this week and yeah. some really, really overwhelming response on that. And so we'll let Chris talk about that. But uh, you know, one thing I did put in my notes, Bob, is that, I tweeted out it was a shame for Logan Sargent, right? He mm-hmm. uh, he had good pace today, and he he really needed – he had good pace in qualifying on Friday, but he really needed a clean race. I mean, time's, time's slipping away for him to, to prove that he deserves this seat, and he needed a clean race. And here we have this health disaster, having him not feeling well. I say disaster. I'm not feeling well and having to take himself out of the race. To me, that's a disaster when you have to end a race like that. Well, it's not so much health as it is fitness, I think. Um, I mean, if it turns out that he's got a flu bug or something, okay, fine. And he's got some time to recover from that. But if it's just because he's not leaning into his, uh, you know, gym workouts as much as he should, then, um, you know, that's something that can be fixed. Not in the short term, perhaps, but... It can be fixed. He wasn't the only driver suffering, but he was the only driver who dropped out for that reason, as far as I know. 
Yeah, but he's just uh, he's just desperately needs another another clean race. All right, well, we'll we're going to do a quick break, and when we come back, we'll get Chris Medlin to join us from Qatar and finish breaking down the Formula One Qatar Grand Prix right after this. Live, let's see what's happening out there on <laughs> the comments on YouTube. Uh, Aubrey says, sorry, I got here late. Got paid for track limits on the way over, LOL. Uh, let's see what we got going on here. Huh. Joe Voice Bay says, was it TW who called called it on turn one? <laughs> oh, Andy P said what I said. I did not read this, Andy P. He said the Red Sea parted and Oscar drove through it. Incredible pace all weekend. I don't know if he said that on YouTube before or after I did, but we're great minds, Andy P. Very happy leading in Dakota. Can't wait to cheer in person. Ah, Andy, we hope we see you down there this time. I think we've seen you once at all these races. Um, Joe Oyster Bay, Lando, Lando's fitness impressed me. His heavily acted radio call trying to get moved ahead of Moscow late in the race was from someone who's remarkably fit. That's funny. Hey, Chris Medlin, how's it going, buddy? I think he's maybe... Chris. He's there, but his mic is muted right now, so we'll wait on... Yeah, sorry, I was I was tweeting. Um, I am here. It's all good. There was some massive firework fireworks display that actually meant I couldn't really join you guys for a little bit. Well, I it was. was we, we talked. Carnage. We talked about your tweeting. Uh, we wonder if you have blisters because how <laughs> many tweets you did during the race. Yeah, that was a um, a chaotic one, wasn't it? It it helps me stay on top of things though. If I'm always kind of writing down what's going yes. on. Yes. Yes. But um. That's what I do with that's what I do with my uh, notebook. Is that a sound effect, Casey, or is that a bird outside the studio? <laughs> I heard a giant crow. <laughs> you know, okay, here we go. Coming back. You can soundproof those things. <laughs> no, not the shotgun. Don't do that, Casey. <laughs> Hi guys, this is Craig Astley, and you're listening to Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. All right, gearheads, welcome to the show. Max Verstappen wins the Qatar Grand Prix, his 14th win of the season. And after wrapping up the championship yesterday, an amazing weekend for the Red Bull team and a really pretty amazing race. This is John Massagill sitting with Bob Varsha, and we've got Chris Medlin out in Qatar. But I just thought this was, you know... There's so much going on. It was hard to keep up with. I, I My notes, I kind of gave up a little bit, but all the track limits and all the time penalties. Bob, uh, I, did you enjoy the race today with all that going on? Me? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I wish I had kept more meticulous notes than you and Chris did regarding who was going to be pitting where, but, of course, I didn't know who was on what kind of tires. And I and I and I'll say again, I thought that was pretty entertaining knowing when guys had to come in um yeah it really does make things interesting and all the the concern that uh, was expressed by the uh, the formula one uh, officials about too many cars pitting simultaneously i mean we can see anything close to that uh, based on uh, on pit stop rotations during the race i mean it was rarely more than one car in the pit lane at a time 
Yeah, so Chris, that all worked out rather well. Chris Mendon, what do you think, buddy? Well, to be honest, I'm, I'm actually chasing out how all the drivers are doing because I'm getting quite a few messages from different teams saying our drivers are not feeling well at all. Um, so uh, the Red Bull drivers seem to both be all right. But um, at Williams, both drivers feeling unwell. There was uh, Logan Sargent. Uh, I've had Alpine getting in touch saying, is this usual? Is everyone else reporting this? Um, so I think it's, it is humid here tonight. It's much more humid than we've had. And I do wonder, uh, we might have heard it in the uh, post-session um, interviews with the top three, that the fact that we had a, a flat-out race, uh, almost like qualifying style, has mm-hmm. kind of exhausted them uh, like uh, when they weren't expecting it. This is a high-performance track in terms of high G and um, it's all very high speed. So it is physically tiring in that sense. And they've always said Singapore's issue is the length of the race rather than the actual fitness you need for it. Well, this I think this was more the fitness you need to drive a Formula One car. Then you add the heat and the humidity and qualifying laps each time. And I think it's I think it might have broken a few. So uh, sorry, I was uh, I was elsewhere as you asked whatever question that was. No, that's great. No, Chris. we're right on it. And I have a question about pit stops. We saw uh, you know, Lando even mentioned in his post race interview a 1.8 second pit stop for McLaren. They also had there were some 2.0s out there, 2.1. So the teams, as they inevitably do, are getting back under that you know, line in the sand, if that's what it is, that the FIA decided needed to be, you know, slowed down. They need to uh, adjust the rules so that these teams don't have such quick pit stops that perhaps safety is compromised. I'm not saying that's what's happening, but we're seeing the teams adjust and they're once again doing these phenomenal pit stops. You anticipate we're going to hear some more discussion about whether someone needs to intervene and slow these pit stops down? I'm not too sure because I think the main thing that they said now is that you have to have certain fail safes, uh, mm-hmm. but it's it's the human element. It, it's removing the automated sections that they had mm-hmm. at one point, um, or, or aspects that were allowed to be automated, uh, and they didn't they didn't want that to become a, an arms race as well. So by removing that, um, they've managed to you know change the, the what was the standard, and now it's as you say reverting to. Uh, the levels that we had seen before, which is highly impressive. Uh, so we'll. Um, I don't. I don't envisage them slowing that down again. I think they'll just say, you know, fair play for negating it. Good for them. Then there's really nothing they can probably do about it. <clears throat> no, you're right. Aside from have a minimum pit stop time, but then you take out, in a sense, you take out the uh, excitement, don't you? You, you. Yeah. If you said every pit stop has to be at least three <clears throat> seconds. They'll, they'll kind of cruise to a three-second stop and everyone will have a three-second stop. Yeah, it's interesting. I've, I've, this weekend, I was involved with the uh, Indianapolis eight hours for the uh, GT3-based uh, SRO GT World Challenge America. They have minimum pit stop times. In other words, if you're, if you're doing a non-refueling stop, you only get X amount. You cannot do a pit stop from pit entry to pit exit with the time stationary in less than a certain number of seconds, which varies somewhat from track to track. Um, if you're free, uh, refueling the car, it's even longer. And it's amazing to me to watch these teams who have it down to a science. I mean, if they are given a 63 second minimum pit stop time, they will come in, do their service, creep down the pit lane, and hit the clock just right on the button at 63 seconds to stay within the rules. So, you know, another example of how racing teams of any stripe uh, will 
you know, adjust to whatever the rule is and make it work. Hey, Chris, I want to ask you about Logan Sargent. Um, we were talking before you came on and, and uh, you know, all we saw was it, it looked like to me right before the television cameras, you know, the, the teammates blocked the view is that he was having struggling getting out of the car after he took himself out of the race. Mm, yeah. So all I've had from Williams is that both drivers are not feeling very well at all at the moment. Um, so I'm going to see if I can get an update from them about uh, how they're getting on. I, it does seem to be uh, that for, it's essentially exhaustion for, for most um, that it, you know, yeah. it's maybe caught them out a bit. Um, but yeah, that there are uh, a number of drivers here that are really physically done after today rather than like an, you know, an, you know, anything else more sinister, just it is exhaustion levels. So um, Alex Albon apparently really struggling with that too. And it sounds like I think uh, Sergeant was pushing himself to his absolute limit, wasn't he? There was a radio message where he was offered the chance to stop. The team were like, no, let's look after you. Like, you can park the car, James Vowles was saying. And at that point, Logan's like, no, I can get through this. I, I can see this through. But normally, if you're in a car, I mean, people who uh, suffer from motion sickness will, will know this sort of thing. Whatever's triggering it, unless you stop the thing that's triggering it, you're only going to deteriorate. You're only going to get worse. It doesn't get better. So uh, once they were started the race, until he stopped racing, it was not going to improve. And uh, and clearly it it went downhill for Logan as well. So I will uh, I will find out. There's a chance I mentioned earlier when we we're on the grid and spoke to him that we might hear from uh, James Rouse this evening. But I am warned that it depends on how the drivers are doing and what else he has to deal with. So uh, I'm actually heading down to Williams right now down the paddock. So yeah. I will let you know. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Uh, what, what I can get the fact that both drivers are not feeling well. This you know makes you worry a little bit about you know not just you know you think about true heat stroke or heat exhaustion something more serious because this was well you know yeah you know i have some experience with dehydration after my <clears throat> excuse me after my uh chemotherapy and my cancer treatments i had a lot of trouble of course we had very hot summers everywhere uh, and i even fainted on a couple of occasions and after testing the doctors decided it was dehydration and i'll tell you lying on the bed in the hospital the thing that perked me up in a hurry was a sailing iv huh just put a few units i of, bet that's uh, what's happening of fluids in your system yeah i'll bet there are i, mm -hmm. I wouldn't doubt that at all after mm -hmm. today chris what did we decide the temperature I mean, was be... the, the air temperature uh, well so i was it was while we were during that race i mean i'm back outside now uh i was looking at the the screens and they were saying yeah temperature is about 33 degrees celsius um which if i do a quick uh translation on my Current app right now. We're 90, talking about like 90, nearly, what about ninety? A little over ninety, like um, 90, 91 and a half. Yeah, mm. yeah. And and from that, we've then got humidity was like uh, nearly eighty percent. So this is kind of Singapore temperatures and Singapore humidity, but on a much tougher track, uh, and in a, a, a race that I say tougher as in, yeah. The G, again, as I said earlier, the G force, the actual uh, physical state you need to be in to just drive the car to its limit anyway, um, and it. it it wasn't time limited this race by any stretch, but drivers would have been tired just completing this race in much cooler temperatures because of the sort of track it is. It's physically challenging, but uh, yeah, I think the added humidity might be might be part of the issue as well. Which again would then tally with what Bob just said about dehydration because you're going to sweat even more. And we saw all of the drivers seem to be struggling in the sense. Anyone notice who watched on TV the onboards of uh, George Russell cracking open his visor when he was in the pit lane fully? 
Yeah. He had the uh, his hands out over the front of the cockpit to try and get some air in. Uh, Lando mm-hmm. Norris did the same, was cracking his visor. So we're going to try and see uh, who's kind of had who's had what in that sense. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm just looking actually, there's a screen showing a, a tweet from Lewis Hamilton. I know I haven't really talked about the Mercedes pair yet, but their, uh, their collision that they had on the first lap that Lewis has now taken full responsibility yep. for having seen the replay. So I'm um, going to see if I can also stalk George Russell and, and get his take on that because he's one of those who has made it to the media pen at least. A number of drivers still haven't. Hey, Chris, remember, while, uh, while you're doing that, uh, let me get a message in from one of our sponsors. Go on, get a little out there into the big hearted, big heart, heart of Nevada. Nevada is yours to explore with 10 iconic road trips full of uncommon curiosities and delightful contradictions. Engines roaring, hearts and mountain bluebirds soaring. Nevada is everything but boring. It is full of wide open wonder. In fact, there are 60 million acres of public space to explore and adventure. This is the place to discover something strange, to feel intrigued, and to feel alive, and to leave better for it. Nevada's heart is historic, and here and now, down to earth and out of this world, neon lit and starlit too. Nevada is a place where you can be or explore a new side of you and to do the things you've never thought you'd do. Find unexplained art, have a pecan punch to fill your heart, Go on, get a little out there. Start planning your trip at TravelNevada.com. That's right. We got Las Vegas coming up soon, boys and girls. But Chris, yeah. Right now, it is. Yeah. What's the temperature? 88 degrees. Hey, it's it's better Uh, than Qatar. And Abu Dhabi is 89 degrees. And can I tell a quick Las Vegas story I learned this weekend, or should I wait? Well, has- well, I'm I'm just right now. I'm at, uh, if you could have heard the background noise, so I don't know if my mic's picking up. I'm down at Alfa Romeo because, again, another angle that we need to get in on all of this is uh, double points for this team in what was a pretty chaotic race. And I'm just going to see if uh, if I can grab a word one there, drivers that, that has come back. But it was the team celebrating uh, at that point, and I don't know if I can. I'm going to try and see if I can get um, Joe Van Yu before he gets changed. Yeah, double points, huge, Chris. Uh, yeah, I've got him. Yeah, mm. Joe, P9 today. Firstly, physically, how are you? A lot of drivers seem to really be struggling. I mean, I'm I'm exhausted. I I, I definitely feel okay now. But uh, honestly, it's been pushing quality lap for 18 laps on the hard compound to make the difference. That was just so tricky. And the heat, there's no wind, so you can't get airflow, like, on the in-lap, I have to have my visor open. Otherwise, with that slow speed, I wouldn't be able to brave. Well, I won't keep you long because you must need some water and stuff too. But how pleased are you with two points in ninth place? Valtteri ahead of you in eighth. Big day for the team. Yeah, amazing. Uh, tricky second half season. Really rewarding for the whole entire factory going forward. And yeah, today it's just been fantastic. I'm um, really scrapped and pace. We managed everything well off on the team as well. So really happy. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, it's nice to hear from him. We haven't talked to him all season, but man, did he say exactly what we were all thinking, that that is rough out there. Yeah, yeah, big time. I mean, I imagine we're going to get that from a number of different drivers. I'm going to keep uh, keep an eye open. Um, and <laughs> I just had someone, someone come up to me who's involved in the Andretti project, sorry, um, who yes. saw a poll I put on Twitter, another topic we want to talk about. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I put... I put a poll up being like, right, fans, what do you want? Do you want an 11th team? I didn't say Andretti. I said an 11th team. And I think from over 20,000 votes, it was like 88% were like, yes. <laughs> so the person involved in the Andretti project just came over and went, good poll. 
Um, so, <laughs> sorry, that, that, Chris, that threw me a little bit there. I, I already teased that before you came on. I said, well, we, <laughs> I retweeted that and said, the people have spoken, hashtag Andretti F1. I, I brought Andretti into the conversation for you, so you didn't have to, Chris. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I'll, um, I just it was why I was distracted there, though. I suddenly sort of had to break off. But hey, speaking uh, yeah, of a break, was... Chris, we we need to squeeze one in real quick here. Is it a good time? Go for it. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to get a quick break in. When we come back, we'll see who else Chris can grab with this microphone. You're listening to Speed City back after these messages. OK, so before. Y'all may have heard the bird, the, the crows. I mean, like big, huge black crows out right outside my window. Well, I look out well, after we went back on there, and Casey's wandering around. Casey, did you have like a broomstick or anything, or were you just waving your arms? <laughs> he was out there waving his arms out on the – it's really a balcony. I said ledge on YouTube, but it's really a balcony. Anyway, he was chasing the birds out from behind me because they actually really were loud. Uh, I, don't, I didn't hear them. <clears throat> okay. Well, yeah, I thought it was. I thought you had played a sound effect coming through my headphones. You know what they're going to do on your balcony if you don't scare them off. <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm just looking at some of the comments here. Uh, I like Chris's uh, poll numbers. I wonder if he does presidential primaries. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> no, I don't have quite the engaged audience for that. I don't think you put Bob. up that poll. Yeah. Uh, the Chris is tweeting. Make yeah. it up. We all do here in America. <laughs> <clears throat> Bob, oh ye of little faith. <laughs> Guilty as charged. Yeah, I, I'm going to say. Little faith. Uh, a couple of people on YouTube. Uh, Applesauce, whoever that is. Applesauce 2.0, actually. He says, more teams, the better. When was the, when was the most teams on the grid? Ah, that's a Bob Varsha question. I don't know if you know that wow. off the top of your head. Um, when I first came into the sport on a on a full season basis in 1989, we had what was called pre-qualifying because we had, I believe it was 36 cars on site, but only 26 cars under the regulation were able to start the race. So before even allowing everybody into to go out and practice. All right, Bob, we'll, we'll pick back up. Okay. Hi, this is Karun Chandok, and you're listening to Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. Thanks to Karun Chandok for bringing us back. Man, he does a great job, doesn't he, on television? Uh, hey, yes, Chris, he does. we have your poll up on the uh, on the YouTube screen. It's up to 88.2% say yes, we should have an 11th team. Your question was, do you want an 11th team? That And that's not just a handful of people. That's... 20,000 people saying that? That's yeah, a, that's a pretty serious 20, poll, Chris. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm lucky enough I've got a few followers on Twitter, as you mentioned earlier, because I'm non-stop typing on it during races, I think. And, uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. X, should we say? I'll get in trouble for giving it the wrong name, won't I? Yeah. I, uh, but, uh, yeah, it was an engaged engaged audience there. So, uh, But I was very careful to say new team rather than Andretti, because I think there could be a difference there. But the way that all the teams are speaking, they're very clear as well. They're saying this is nothing about Andretti. This is about an 11th team. It could have been anyone. Uh, and uh, they've been strong on that throughout. 
So um, <clears throat> it's trying to like remove the, you know, if, if people just don't like Michael or just don't like, you know, an American team or anything like that, that's not a, a part of it at all. It's just a straight question and answer that mm-hmm. the team members have been talking about and then uh, the way I did that on the poll. But yep. yeah, I'm, I'm sure we can dig into that a bit further, a bit further down the line, but I'm just... Uh, just trying to see which drives have made it as far as the TV pen now after All right, while you're uh, doing that, Chris, time, I think, to recover. While you're doing that, Chris, I'm going to get a word from our sponsor. The Speed City F1 post-race show on Sirius 6M is brought to you by CrowdStrike. Stop today's most sophisticated cyber attacks at the office, the racetrack, and everywhere in between. Learn more at CrowdStrike.com slash XM. <laughs> and the crows are back in the background. Um, what do you see, Chris? We've got yeah, it's, it's quite a strange one. Normally, uh, the, uh, the the media pen starts to thin out um, fairly fairly regularly at the, at the same time after each race. But uh, I think drivers have been coming and going at different times as they've been depending on how they've been feeling and how they're recovering. So mm. Fernando Alonso now only just getting here for the first time. He's in a he's got chains. He's got a cool jacket on, um, but it suggests he's probably already had a shower to try and cool down and rehydrate. So I think I don't think there's a driver that escapes this. I don't think there's a single one that's going to turn around and go, yeah, that was fine. I do I mean, want to. Max Verstappen tried, didn't he? After when he did his yeah. post-race interview, and he's like, "Yeah, top five, one of the hardest," but you know, it was okay. And then you see him in the cool-down room, and he had to sit down. Yeah, Ooh. I want to hear from if we can grab another driver. I just want to. Hear, I'm fascinated to hear and see how they're doing, and make sure that I just, you know, this is such an unusual thing that that uh, I mean, we actually lose a driver from from fitness, and so many more are complaining about it. It'd be interesting to see what they say. Uh, but Chris, yeah, we ran down the the uh, the finishing order and everything before uh, in the first part of the show, and um, and we and we touched on that uh, great finish by Alfa Romeo, how they moved ahead of Haas because of that, and mm. and Sergio Perez. I want to ask you, Chris, because um, he finished tenth, but how many time penalties did he have? I believe there were three in the end, two in the race. Uh, two five-second ones in the race, and then there was another five-second one that was added post-race. I'd seen the alert come up, uh, I think on the final lap or penultimate lap, that he might have exceeded track limits again. And with each additional one, it was an automatic extra five-second time penalty. So uh, it just took a little while for it to come through. So when he crossed the line and they applied all the penalties that were still outstanding, it only dropped them to ninth at that point. But then the final penalty was added afterwards, dropped them another place to tenth. So... Yeah, I think 15 seconds worth of penalties there. And I, I guess it would be down to someone else to, to do the maths on that in terms of, I, I don't have the race result in front of me right now. But if you took 15 seconds off his race time, I'm sure he's much, much further up, kind of top six perhaps. So costly, costly errors for a lot of drivers, though, because not everyone got a penalty. It's, you know, there were a lot of penalties, but they tended to actually all, all group to a certain group. Off the top of my head, Alex Albon got multiple. So too did Lance Stroll and so too did Pierre Gasly. So costly yeah that was uh that was kind of crazy uh let me see i think we've got a caller on the line yes we do we have uh, we have bryn from north dakota hi bryn how are you what'd you think of the race today yeah good afternoon yeah really good uh enjoying race to listen to um i haven't heard you mention what happened to russell after he put the softs on because uh he was falling back and they were really scared he'd catch lando up um I haven't heard anybody, was it because he wasn't feeling well himself, do you think? Or, and on that point, I hope all the drivers are okay. But are they not allowed to have water in the cars like they do with MotoGP, do you know? Uh, I don't think they are, actually. But well, who did you say you were asking uh, yeah, about? Yeah, they do. 
Oh, they do. They, they can. They just don't for reasons of width. Yeah, some don't. Some do. Uh, oh. I think. I think looking at it, um, I thought I saw uh, Logan Sargent remove uh, his drinks wire before he got, tried to get out of his car. Oh, that's um, right. Yeah. So I think, I think that yeah, I think that some did. Um, it is true that some choose not to, uh, depending on the type of race and how difficult the thing will be. Because yeah, they can save a bit of weight that way. But I think on a day like today, I'd imagine all drivers had uh, had taken some uh, drink and electrolytes would have been in there in the car. But obviously, that will just get hot eventually. Yeah. And it seemed like the water. issue from what Joe, yeah, Joe Guanyu's point though was, I think less about the hydration. It's just more about you keep overheating because you can't get any air in the car. You weren't cooling down, uh, and it is surprisingly still compared to what we have had and complete tangent. Sorry. I know we're going to ask Bryn again for, for the driver. He wanted to speak about uh, in detail, but the big difference I noticed here this week with the heat was when it was properly hot, a breeze didn't cool you. The breeze was blowing hot air on you yeah. uh, and making you even hotter. Uh, whereas, you know, when temperatures were a bit lower early in the weekend and not so high humidity, then at the right time, a breeze was still you know, welcomed. It was still just that bit cooler than, uh, than the temperature around it. So, that's probably the main difference. Uh, and I mentioned it, didn't I, pre-race? You know, racing here at this time of year has just not gone down well with everyone. And this might be a, a question that then gets brought up. Uh, we'll ask Brendan in a second. But Chris, this is why we don't have the USGP in Austin any earlier than we do. Because we've had a 100-degree temperature as, as recently as this week. It finally cooled down. We had the first cold front since April. But we had 100 degrees like Monday or Tuesday of this week, right, before all this hit or something like that. It was... And it's stunning that we can still have it. But, Bryn, who was the driver you were asking about? Yeah, it was George Russell. Because um, ah. uh, mm. um, McLaren was sort of worried about him going onto the soft tyres. But when he went onto the soft tyres, he was falling back and not catching him up because they were thinking he would. Yeah, great question. I actually didn't know the answer. Chris, do you know what was going on there? He went soft no, tyres so and he I'm had actually... no pace. Yeah, he, he had one lap that looked all right. He had some very slow ones as well. So I'm just stalking him right now to see if... I can grab him uh, when he heads back to the Mercedes motorhome. I'm not sure if I'll get to because um, I think a lot of the drivers right now are going to do the bare minimum and try and get themselves to a cool room. Uh, and having me keep them outside any longer won't go well. But I'll, I'll see if I can ask the man himself. Uh, and if not, there's um, Mercedes spokesperson uh, Bradley Lord that I think we can speak to in a little bit as well. We we'll want to get his take on the collision between those two. So I'll, uh, I'll hope to get an answer one way or another for you, Bryn. Yeah, I... I... That's, I'm going to have the same question. Well, Bryn, thank you for calling. We really appreciate your, you always have good questions. I recognize your name and we appreciate you listening. Um, I want, Casey, I just sent you on the chat a image of an Alonzo radio. Somebody tweeted this, but I actually have this same photo on my phone. And it was an Alonzo radio where he says, the seat is burning, mate. Anything we can do at the pit stop, throw water, throw me water or something. Wow. I mean, literally, his seat was so hot, he wanted to pour water in his seat. Speaking of water in the car. I think he wanted yeah. to pour water on I himself. Think... He's got IndyCar experience, and that's how they put out methanol fires. Hmm. He's, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm still looking now, though. Yeah, he's in the, he's in the mix zone. And he's the only driver in a, in a cool jacket still at this point. So, yeah, it must have been, uh, must have been very hot for him in that, in that car. Uh, he also did get a reprimand, by the way, for uh, the way he rejoined the track after his off-track moment at turn two. Yeah. Uh, I know it flashed up on the on the screens. It was under investigation that he maybe rejoined unsafely, uh, and the stewards chose uh, a reprimand for that one. So he's been—I yeah. don't know if he's actually been to the stewards or they've done that themselves. 
but they felt that he did rejoin in an unsafe manner because of the speed and the angle that he returned to the track in. Oh. Yeah, he almost collected Charles Leclerc, the Ferrari. Alonso went right to the middle of the racetrack just as Leclerc was bearing down on him. And speaking of the heat, I just sent Casey another photo to put up. Uh, we've got um, in the uh, in the, the the post waiting for the interviews room. There's there's uh, Oscar Piastri laying on the floor, Max Verstappen sitting on the floor, and Lando Norris in a chair with drinking water. I mean, these guys just look exhausted. I've never seen anything like this. Yeah, crazy. Uh, let's see what else, guys. Just looking through the um, the finishing order here. But to answer that uh, question that the, was posed about how many cars would be the most that ever showed up, uh, the answer, I believe, is 39 from 20 teams in the days before Oof. the regulations <laughs> determined how many teams could enter the championship, which is now 13, of course. So they'd have pre-qualifying. And if you were at the lower echelon, usually 10 or 12 cars would go out first thing on Friday morning for an hour, and only four cars would advance to regular practice and qualifying. Everybody else had to go home, come halfway around the world, do an hour of pre-qualifying, and if you didn't make the cut, pack up and get out. Hmm. I've seen that many cars on a track at Coda when we have the F4. They have something like mm -hmm. that. They have something like almost 40 cars on track, and it... Looks, yeah. looks well what got up bernie ecclestone's nose was they didn't have quarters for these cars they didn't have permanent garages for them so i remember my first uh race in uh rio at hakarapagua for the brazilian grand prix bless you the teams are being sheltered by scaffolding <laughs> and large chunks of wood like plywood and uh, it was a real really um not a good look for formula one i will say um <laughs> But hey, those days were soon over. Hey, Chris, speaking of not enough garage space, that's been a discussion that everybody from Liberty Media CEO Greg Maffei is talking about to Domenicali's talked about that. I think maybe even some of the other team principals that some of the circuits around the around the world are, are not ready for an 11th and 12th and 13th team, are they? No, and I think it's true that some aren't, but they are meant to be, and they have to be based on their contracts at some stage. So essentially, if a new team was added, it would be on them to go, okay, we need to expand. We have to invest in that. Uh, they may well ask Formula One or the FIA to help them invest, but the contracts they sign are for a sport that could have up to 26 cars. So I don't think it really holds too much weight, but it, it is a logistical issue that would need addressing, but it, you know, contractually, it's in there at the moment. So uh, I just uh, have an update, though, on Logan Sargent from Williams, who say, following Logan's retirement from the Grand Prix, he has been assessed and cleared by the medical team on site after suffering from intense dehydration during the race, weakened by having flu-like flu -like symptoms earlier in the week. So oh uh, that's, uh, yeah, that does not sound fun, does it? But uh, apparently, at least he is now back with the team and okay. Yeah, flu-like symptoms was, means he was already on the path to dehydration, and you're right, you were spot exactly. on, Bob. Yeah. So, well, all right, guys, we need to get a, a a quick break in here, and when we come back, we'll continue to break down the Formula One Qatar Grand Prix right after this. <clears throat> yeah, good point, Chris, about the garages. They signed a contract. And it says they've got to be able to do it. So I'm sure it's just going to be trickier for some than more than others.
I can't remember mm, how many yeah, it's, Coda um, has. I know they have more than they need right now, but I can't remember the total. Yeah, there's a number of places are fine, but you look at something like, uh, admittedly, something like Zandvoort, that does look a bit tricky to add another garage or two, but they, they've signed a contract that says they need to. They'll have to find a way of doing it. Yeah, I thought that was funny that they were talking about, you know, that this is that they're saying this is going to be a problem, this is going to be a problem. Well, hey, wait, hang on a minute. You know, you you got a contract, so get this done. Do what Zandvoort did. Yeah. Build garages. Yeah. Oh, uh, let's One see. One thing it, it must be said, though, is that it's never the circuit, or up to now it's not been the circuit. I've not heard a single circuit say, mm, no, we, we, we can't do that <laughs> publicly anyway. Um, <laughs> it's point. just an ex excuse given. Uh, by mm -hmm. others, uh, yeah. kind of speaking for them. So we'll have to wait and see how that all goes. But mm. um, I'm going to head to Mercedes for when we come back, uh, and I'll get their team spokesperson because uh, I'm told no time <clears throat> for George when he's done. Sadly. Okay. Well, team spokesperson will be able. To, we're getting the information that I wanted. You know, the fact that I, I'm glad that it was not just a fitness issue with Logan Sargent. That he, you know, not glad that he was sick earlier, but I'm glad that it wasn't. That he wasn't working hard enough, which it didn't. That would have surprised me, honestly. I'm glad that he was. Uh, there was something else going on. So, mm. <clears throat> all right. Let's see. Anybody on YouTube here? Uh, let's see. Yeah. Even in October, Qatar was too risky. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, they kept moving Coda. You know, it used to be in the first year was like November 18th, and they moved it back and moved it back, and like. I kept saying they're gonna they're gonna move it too far back. Hello to everyone. This is Gunter Steiner. This is Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. CrowdStrike presents Driven in 60 as the official cybersecurity partner of the Mercedes AMG Petronas Formula One team. CrowdStrike protects against cyber threats so the team can focus on what matters, their next win. The revolutionary cloud-native unified CrowdStrike Falcon platform harnesses the speed and power of the cloud to protect and defend organizations of all sizes against increasingly complex threats, stopping breaches before they happen. Because on and off the track, the stakes couldn't be higher. A split second can make the difference between victory and defeat. When every second counts, protection shouldn't slow you down. It should fuel your momentum. CrowdStrike, protection at every turn. To learn more and to try CrowdStrike Falcon free today, visit CrowdStrike.com slash XM. Chris Medlin, out at Guitar. What's happening? Yeah, I've managed to grab a seat, which is welcome, I'll tell you, in this, uh, in this heat and humidity. Uh, outside Mercedes with Chief Communications Officer Bradley Lord, who probably had one of the hardest jobs going at the end of lap one, given A, your normal role, but B, that you are an active spokesperson for the team as well. And you get questions like the one I'm about to ask you. What was the team reaction to the two cars coming together at the start of the race? The main reaction is, right, what we're going to do now with George and where can we get back to, honestly? Um, things move forward very quickly, obviously. As a team, uh, rule number one is the cars don't make contact with each other. And you never want to see um, either of your cars in the gravel trap um, on lap one or especially at the first corner. So it was a... About as bad a start to the race, I think, as we could have imagined. Um, but from there, you very quickly switch into recovery mode and say, right, what's possible? And 
lap two as we're behind the safety car. The strategists were saying, well, we might be able to get back to the points here with George. He's got a, he's still got three stops to make and so is everybody else. And he's at the back, not at the front as he was. Um, and from there, he just put in an absolutely stellar drive um, to be that quick, that consistent all the way through and to get back to P4 and in the end to score two points more than Ferrari on a day when um, it could have been a lot more, but also could have been um, a lot worse as well was a, a heck of a recovery from him. Yeah, in the media centre, we joked, it was very nice of you guys to even up the score since Ferrari didn't start a race with Carlos Sainz. But um, <laughs> firstly on, George, he just walked past us to go back to the driver room. Physically, how is he? Because we've seen a number of drivers really struggling after today's race. Yeah, I think this is probably one of the most intense races that any of the drivers have experienced. And it's not just hot, but today compared to yesterday or Friday, the humidity has been absolutely sweltering. So um, it wasn't easy in the car. We even saw him during the race sort of lifting his hands out of the cockpit. We saw how quickly he had his visor open coming around that last corner and into his final pit stop as well. So it was clearly demanding. And I think, honestly, for me, one of the things, one of the conversations I have many times with people is, well, these F1 drivers are really athletes. They sit down and they turn a wheel, but they're not running around a sports pitch or doing any of that. And I think today just shows quite how demanding this sport can be and really, really is a testament to the sort of physical condition, the discipline and the effort they put in day after day away from the racetracks um, in order to, to be in peak condition and not be the limitation of the car on a day like this. Yeah, real, real test for them. Uh we had a question from uh, listener Bryn a, a little bit ago. I wanted to know about the strategy that was used at the end of the race, George going on to softs, and then looked like the pace wasn't there. Was there a reason for that? It was a really simple reason for it. Um, he came out of the pits. We wanted to manage that tyre for a couple of laps just in case there was a safety car and it needed to be fresh at the end. Then we were like, right, we're going to go for fastest laps. So you take a, quite a hit for that charging the battery so that it's completely full for you to be able to drain it on that quick lap. Then he got into that lap. It's about four tenths off after three corners, had a snap, um, went off. So that lap was done. And then after that, Leclerc was closing in and we'd given away some lap time in going for fastest lap. So he just then had to knuckle down and make sure he brought it home um, with enough of a margin. Charles had a real push at the end. And I think, I think he crossed the line something like 4.8 or 4.9 seconds behind George. So we were obviously a little apprehensive about track limits as well when that black and white flag came up. So there's a bit more jeopardy in there than we thought. But I don't think we ever really saw the true pace of that soft tyre um, on George um, in those final laps. Well, there you go, Bryn. Hopefully that answers your question. And, and just finally, the, the big topic moving forward then is, is what happens in terms of a debrief for the team? How do you address the collision? Is it done tonight? Is it done in the future back at the factory? How do you then get the drivers talking? Yeah, I think, you know, Lewis has apologised to the team and taken his part of responsibility for the accident. George has done exactly the same. So they have a huge amount of respect for each other. Yes, there's the normal competitive tension that you want between teammates and that you expect, but they are... Um, their colleagues as well. And, you know, they know that they're working together to get the team Peter in the championship this year. So they'll talk about it, put it behind them. And I'm sure we'll see both of them coming back even stronger in Austin, where we've also got our last upgrade of the season to put on the car, hopefully another small step forward. Um, and then, yeah, we'll just be giving it everything to secure that P2. Well, we look forward to seeing how you go in Austin. Thank you very much for that, Bradley. There you go, Bryn. Your question was answered 7,000 miles away, live on the air. <laughs> but that was great. Actually, a great insight, wasn't it? Understanding, you know, having to go recharge the battery and everything. That was great. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah, it's the sort of things you're not always aware of. Or, yeah, you certainly need a team's point of view. Um, there was a point I did wonder if he was backing off for a, for a fastest lap attempt. But then having not seen the start of that attempt and him going off, it just looked like slow lap times each time. So you kind of have to... Yeah. Uh, assume there was a problem. Uh, so yeah, there was really good insight there from 
from Bradley. And just following up as well on the upgrade, it's on the floor for Mercedes. Uh, and James Allison was explaining uh, this morning or this afternoon before the race that it's hopefully going to give them a bit of a step forward in performance, but also it's more targeted at being a bellwether for the future, that they're going in the right direction. So they're really keen to see that it shows the development they're doing now for next year's car uh, and where they're headed with all the changes they want to make uh, are paying off in the way they hope. Mm. Uh, I want to touch on the constructor standings. We talked about it. So Red Bull out there with 657. And I'm going to do a double check, refresh. Yep, 657. And then Mercedes with 326, Ferrari with 298. So 28 points separate them. And then down to Aston Martin, 230. So 68 to them. And then, but McLaren right behind Aston Martin with 219. So only 11 points separate them now after a dub, another double podium for McLaren. And then Alpine with 90, Williams with 23, Alfa Romeo now. We talked about them having 16 over Haas's 12 now. That's a, a change in position, a $10 million change in position. And then Alfa with five points. But, uh, but yeah, Chris, before you came on, we talked about what a, you know, this is such a huge impact for these teams. And Haas now, you know, that, that makes four points, which doesn't sound like a lot of points, but when you're always battling for that, that one or two points, this could be really, this could be where they end down here at the bottom. Now Haas is bringing upgrades to Austin and, you know, if they could get, if they could get double points, just like Alfa Romeo did today, that would help. But, but yeah, this is, uh, that's a big deal that happened today, wasn't it? Oh, big time. Yeah. Uh, as much as we uh, grabbed uh, Shoguan Yu to kind of get the reaction from Alfa Romeo and the celebrations there for that result, you know, flip side is the complete opposite at Haas. I think as a weekend, it's kind of slipped away in a way they probably weren't expecting. I mean, uh, surprising to see a couple of points going Williams' way in the sprint, uh, especially with the way the weekend had started. Uh, and then with the starting positions today, would have fancied their chances to be solid. I mean, the Alfa Romeo has looked good, but uh, I don't think they'd have thought double points. And not only that, it wasn't ninth and tenth, it was eighth and ninth. So, yeah, yeah that, that's how quickly it can turn because it's hard Hard to get a big weekend like that. You know, and that is a big weekend for these teams. So Haas will really need that upgrade in Austin to, to pay dividends, to give them a chance at least of doing this in one of the remaining five rounds. You know, one place where they might have a, ch- a shot is there's another sprint race in Austin. And Hulkenberg has been so good in, you know, I know that, you know, he's in qualifying. But um, now... Was it Hulkenberg or was it Magnussen that scored points in the sprint earlier in the season? Chris, do you remember, Bob? It was Hulkenberg, I seem to remember. It in was, Austria. okay. Uh, yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah. yeah, but that could be another opportunity for Haas to catch back up with their new gear. Hopefully, you know, I always get excited about upgrades for a team, but I also worry a little bit because you, then you're messing with the – the equation you're messing with the algorithm or <laughs> you know what i mean where you're you're ch- making a change in a team and if you if you don't get everything right you know how this it's such a system in other words it's not just okay we're going to add this and it's going to make the car faster it changes the balance or whatever and maybe even go backwards well not only that they're doing it in a sprint race as you say so only going to be one session to really get on top of that that's right uh, it's it's ahead of that not yeah. a lot of time yeah, so you've you got to hope it really is bolt-on and works. And it might also be that it bolt, you bolt it on and there's a small step forward or almost no change in performance, and that might not look so good, but that might be a, a good indication that 
given more track running and more data and learning how to set it up so that it, it does have good potential. So, um, yeah, it'll be, a, it'll be a busy, busy weekend for Haas in Austin. Yeah. Hey, Chris, I want to ask you, when I was running down the grid earlier, I, I pointed out that Alonso in sixth and Lance Stroll, you know, he's had such a rough time of it that 11th seems like a, a really good finish for him. Um, I just want to get your take on that. I mean, and, and his whole, what's, what's going on with Lance Stroll? It seems just really amazing, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Uh, I, I think I'm just going to check the actual final uh, classification or provisional classification because that's all we can work with at the moment. The, there's not a final one uh, in terms of it being uh, no protests and all that sort of uh, yeah. talk. And I imagine teams are going through on boards and checking everyone else's track limits to see if there should be any more time penalties out there. But when they crossed the line, uh, Stroll, with the time that he'd completed the race in, was 32 seconds behind Alonso. But that did involve an extra time penalty, uh, at least one. Uh, in fact, it was two for him, but I think one he would have taken in the race. So he would have been 27 seconds behind. So there was a point it was closer earlier in the race. Uh, but there, it just, yeah, it looked like it was coming towards him for a little bit. And then it just slipped away. With Perez's late penalty, he was 1.5 seconds off the points. And they could have been crucial points for, for Aston Martin in this McLaren fight. So he's had a habit of moving forward in races, getting his head down and doing a solid job over a race distance, uh, but normally off the back of a really poor qualifying in recent weeks. So in a sense, you could say it's easier to, to make that progress when you start so far back. But I think he really does need a big, big result somewhere, uh, maybe an Alonso beating result or a point scoring result. Because the pressure is just going to build and build on him after um, poor results and then losing his rag on Friday after getting knocked out and qualifying. I think you know, that, that pressure that people talk about from the outside, that surely you know, the, the team look at his performance and know that it can't be sustained. But in reality, you know, if you've got Lawrence Stroll in charge, I don't think that is happening. I think, I think he's fully protected there. So, um, yeah, that's one of those where I imagine... Um, that the uh, the Aston Martin pressure will build. I'm just trying to line up Andreas Stella, but I think he's off to speak to some television crews. So we'll try and get him a little bit later in the show if we have the time. All right. um, because we had him yesterday, didn't we? After a, a win in the sprint and then second and third for McLaren today is just what what a run they're on. I know. Just amazing. Incredible. Uh, we got to do a break. But before we do, you know, as everyone knows, we got the Las Vegas Grand Prix coming up next month. We got a word from our sponsor here. So go on, get out, get out there into the big hearted heart of Nevada. Nevada is yours to explore with 10 iconic road trips full of uncommon curiosities and delightful contradictions. Engines roaring, hearts and mountain bluebirds soaring. Nevada is everything but boring. It's full of wide open wonder. In fact, there are 60 million acres of public space to explore and adventure. This is the place to discover something strange, to feel intrigued, and to feel alive, and to leave better for it. Nevada's heart is historic, here and now, down to earth and out of this world, neon lit and starlit too. Nevada is a place where you can be you, or explore a new side of you, and do things you've never thought you'd do. Find an unexplained art. Have a pecan punch to fill your heart. Go on, get a little out there. Start planning your trip at TravelNevada.com. All right, guys, we got to do a quick break, and we'll come, we come back. We'll see who else Chris can get with the microphone. Listen to the Speed City back after these messages. What are you giggling at over there, buddy? <laughs> uh, thanks, Casey. <laughs>
Uh, uh, let's see what we got here uh, on the YouTubes here. Two things David Lawrence says. Number one, Lance looked as if he was just bored or tired of F1 Friday. His performance shows that. And number two, another race, another Checo letdown. Oh, my goodness. How many track limits can you have? Yeah, that was that was a little bit rough. So one thing I am almost giving uh, excuses, I guess, to some of these drivers who did exceed track limits and get themselves bigger penalties <clears throat> is the conditions and the state that we've seen them in at the end. I imagine it's harder to concentrate and focus and um, be so precise if you are you know, exhausted. Uh, and I'm thinking of like Alex Albon. There's some footage going around of him trying to get out of his car in Park Ferme afterwards. He could barely get out of the car. Uh, he's another driver I've not seen yet post-race. I think he's still... Uh, trying to rehydrate. So that knock-on impact might be if your concentration's dipped slightly, you're just hanging on trying to get to the end of the race, you might slightly exceed. Uh, one of the album ones I think we saw was actually really to enter a corner, he'd gone too wide, uh, just let the car drift out too far. And yeah, that, that could maybe be more easily done when you, you're in that state. So um, I'm giving them a slight, slight caveat, I think, today uh, of that one. I know it's the same for everyone, but yeah, that's... That's one of the uh, the aspects I think we've got to take into account today. Mm. Hey, Bob Varsha, um, you getting excited for Vegas? Yeah, I am. Um, and and I've, I've got a little nugget of learning, as they might say, from an FIA official here in Indy this weekend. Apparently, <clears throat> the race organizers have been told that part of the script, uh, part of the Las Vegas Strip, Las Vegas Boulevard, must be reopened twice a day for vehicular traffic. Oh, okay, hold on. Hi, this is Max Steppen, and you're listening to Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. The Speed City F1 post-race show on SiriusXM is brought to you by CrowdStrike. Stop today's most sophisticated cyber attacks at the office, the racetrack, and everywhere in between. Learn more at CrowdStrike.com slash XM. Okay, during the break, Bob Varsha was sharing with us a little nugget that he found out about Las Vegas. Go ahead, Bob. Tell us about that. Right. I'll recap. Uh, an FIA official told me that there were crews working right now to perfect a technique they're going to need because the organizers of the race have been told that the Las Vegas script must be script, strip, must be reopened to traffic um twice a day that will involve moving 381 concrete barriers and all of the associated fencing cabling signage electrical what have you twice a day that has to there are no support races in vegas it's only formula one and this is probably the reason so they need to uh to to do this as expeditiously as possible and i'm told there are teams right now rehearsing this this huge logistical nightmare hey, that uh, that they're facing. Bob, the good news is, is that Las Vegas has plenty of what it takes to fix a problem like that. And yes, Casey, money. Well, <laughs> yeah, the problem is I think those folks who have already put $400 million into the event from, uh, from Formula One um, are, are kind of scraping the bottom of the piggy bank at this point. Uh, but you're right. I mean, you can do anything with enough money. And uh, oh, the other point that raised the hackles of the organizers was city officials came and said, can we have an extra half hour 
for uh, VIP hot laps on the circuit. And the Formula One folks told them, well, sure, just open the streets early in the morning. Oh, we can't do that. So what do you want to do? Well, can we just, you know, take minutes out of your practice sessions <laughs> to uh, allow, you know, whoever it is, share to, uh, share. to go rocketing around the racetrack. <laughs> that's, a, um, that's an insight into Bob Vars's brain. He chose share as the... <laughs> Well, I, no, Bono I'm just kidding. Like. I have no idea who, who I would have chosen. I have no Justin Bieber. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea. Hey, Chris, <clears throat> Chris, maybe we'll get some uh, rational thoughts from uh, outside of the United States because over here they're saying it's going to be the biggest sporting event in the uh, across the entire planet. Now, I mean, they do have the giant dome thing that they're uh, that that sphere. The sphere. Sorry, yes, the sphere, but. Chris, what, what's the rest of the world saying about Vegas? I mean, we're excited. Uh, we're very much looking forward to it, to see what they put on, how it works. Been talking to teams about the sporting challenge of the very late at night temperatures that we'll get, which will be a lot cooler than we've got right now. I can tell you, I'll need a few more layers than this. But um, I think there's maybe a little bit of skepticism about how big it will be based on, as a sporting event, normally there's also huge additional sporting value to it. So the season finale, perhaps, if there's a, a title on the line, you know, the Super Bowl is to define the world champion between two teams. It all comes down to that. You know, this, without wanting to downplay it, because it will still be a great event, but it is just another race on the calendar in that sense of it will pay the same points. The, the, the world title has been decided, just like sadly here today, you know, it was as a race, it was not worth nothing more than anything else now. Uh, so I think that's a bold claim to go for the biggest sporting event on the planet. It could be one of the biggest events full stop on the planet for everything they want to do around it. But um, we'll have to see. And we'll have to see as well how many how many fans make it. Um, I, I think there might be some last minute decisions where people go, you know what? I want to be there. I'm just going to go to Vegas anyway. Uh, and the place could be packed as a city. But how, how many actually buy tickets? I don't know. So, um, yeah, it's, it's fascinating to see because uh, the potential for that race is huge. But I'd be amazed if they nailed it first time. If I look at the Miami example, and heck, if even if we look back at Cota and Austin, that went through a dip where it needed to find its feet again after the first year or two, uh, and has done a brilliant job to do so. So it, it's never, you know, first time out, you knock it out of the park. Very, very rare. Uh, so I think with Vegas, it'll be kind of some great and some where they can improve. So maybe further down the line, it can become the biggest sporting event on the planet. But I certainly think for that event's success, it could do with a title fight that's going much deeper into the season, which sadly we're not getting this year. Well, the arguments against that would be, one, who doesn't want to go see a race on the Vegas Strip at night? It's going to be a spectacle. Number two is that Formula One themselves are pouring resources into this race like they've never done, if I can boldly say that, Chris, because, I mean, they've bought real estate in Vegas. They're making Vegas almost like a U.S. headquarters there. I mean, they, they are pouring money into this thing. So it it is it's definitely going to be a sight to behold, uh, but that is a pretty crazy bowl. What do you think, Bob? Well, I'm reading the headlines about the, uh, the threat of a strike by the hotel workers. Oh. That would throw a bit of a wrench into things. Yeah. Yeah. The hospitality workers. Yeah. That would not be good. Um, hey, Chris, um, what's going on out there now? Has um, the, the temperature humidity I dropped have... out? 
not at all i am still <laughs> sweating like you wouldn't believe right now uh, and i've worn a white shirt as well so it's not pretty but uh, i'm just trying to line myself up in the right place because i'm told i can speak to lando norris as soon as he comes out of the press conference uh, and ironically uh, as someone who works in the press I'm not positioned in the right place yet. I've got to make sure I'm by the press conference room exit. So uh, I, was, I was making that choice between seeing if we could grab anyone else or grabbing Lando. But uh, as you said, I really would like to get a driver still talking. And also Lando seems to be the one of the top three who just seems to have a little bit more of a spring in his step, didn't he? So oh, yes. I think he might be the one who will downplay how tough he's feeling. But uh, I'm sure if we're, what are we, about just over five in the show still? Yeah, about five minutes. Um, so hopefully he comes out quickly. Uh, if not, okay. I'll grab him for wheel to wheel, but I'd really love to get him, yep. get him live. Um, so that's where I was just moving to. Uh, I'd say quickly, Chris, as quickly as I dared. I, I got a quick uh, comment from Haas F1, Hulkenberg. Remember, I forgot about this. He started in the wrong spot because of Carlos Sainz. There was a right. blank spot there. And he said, uh, this is a quote from Hulkenberg. He says, I realized before I stopped, but you can't reverse and the damage was done. So that was obviously a big mistake for me today. The conditions were very extreme. The heat, humidity, the place, the pace was incredibly high with the new asphalt. So I think we're all feeling it. But yeah, that was that was a, a sad mistake. You, in fact, they showed a replay of him when he parked. He just looked around. You see his head snapping back and forth like, oh, no, I'm in the wrong spot here. That was a little bit rough for, for the Hulk. Yeah, big time. Big time. I think it was also when you saw where he was running, early on, which you know, would have been slightly different from a, a grid slot back, but obviously there's no car in front of him. Uh, and then the move he put, I think it was on Ocon around the outside or Sonoda maybe at turn one. Really nice move. Yeah. And that came just before confirmation of the penalty. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's ruined it now. Uh, but uh, as the stewards said in their decision, it wasn't like a car that was marginally over a white line or slightly too far forward, slightly too far left or right. Uh, it was a car that was a whole row too far forward yeah. so uh yeah that's why they were they were harsh on that one mm. uh hey chris i was you know we had bernie collins on uh, wheel to wheel earlier this year i'm just gonna tell people she's a great twitter follow um she had some good insights before the race during the race after the race um she was just talking about all this the, the strategies and everything it's she was kind of tweeting real time, like you do, Chris. Actually, but it was uh, it was really good. So that's somebody that you ought to uh, exit. She's an ex F one strategist, so somebody you really ought to yeah, follow. definitely give Bernie a follow. She's um, working with Formula One and Sky as well this year to to bring insights. So guys, guys and girls will have seen her on uh, some of ESPN's coverage actually. But um, yeah, she'll be much more insightful than me as well because she's actually done this job <laughs> of running a strategy and you know being within a team. So she'll have she'll have seen all of that a lot better. Yeah, who was she a strategist for, Chris? It was Aston Martin. Thought, um, so she, yeah. she started out working with McLaren and then she joined uh, Aston Martin when it was Force India. It was there for quite a long time. Uh, she was originally um, an engineer who was working on gearboxes uh, and she was much more mechanically focused and then took on a little bit of strategy and it grew and evolved and she became uh, the, the chief strategist there and, and did an excellent job. So, um, yeah, uh, one of those really impressive uh, names that, that forged her own path and, you know, what was great as well is like a, an iconic female in the sport that, that people can look up to as having um, really climbed to a senior position within the team uh, and now is being respected for her opinion and insight and all of that as well. Mm. Hey, I've got a, a tweet from Karen Chanduk that I just uh, sent over to Casey to put up and it shows a soft tire and it says, this is why a new soft tire can't do a full stint. And this tire looks shredded. 
it does not look roadworthy. I wouldn't go down the street on that tire. It is destroyed. And I don't know exactly how many laps were on that thing, but <laughs> the fact that it even got that bad is pretty crazy. I'm wondering if that would be Russell's then, because I think he was the last no, it's, one. It's a McLaren. It's a McLaren. I can see the... The papaya. Oh, interesting. Well, they didn't use the soft at any point in the race. It must have been from the sprint yesterday. Oh, maybe um, so. Or maybe even running to the track. Yeah, yeah. It's or a three-hour-old qualifying tweet. runs. Yeah, he just tweeted it. Yeah. Three hours, so I guess maybe it was from yesterday. So maybe that's what it was. Yeah, there was video but, uh, of a of a tire which did look like it was in the process of delaminating. There was rubber flapping around. Hmm. Um, I don't recall the car. I was doing something else at the time, but um, yeah, hmm. it. it Got pretty serious. We well, we are almost out of time, off. Chris. I know you were going to try to get Lando. Um, any? Yeah, he's oh, still he's not there sadly yet. being. Okay. It's 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 my colleagues that are in the print media that is usually me if I'm not holding a microphone. Who are still <laughs> asking questions in the press press conference of Lando, Max, and Oscar. So I can see them on the screen um, still chatting away. So sadly, uh, when I grab him, it'll be for wheel to wheel him in midweek. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll still get that for everybody. Just have to wait for the for yeah. the next show. Uh, All right, well, and Max speaking. I'm told we might even get to speak to him in Austin too. So hopefully ooh, we'll hear nice. from the world champion then. All right. Well, Good. thanks everybody. We are out of time, but before I let you go, let's talk about next week and then the week after that. Two weeks from now, Austin, right? And we'll be doing Austin, Texas, baby. And right, we'll be doing our normal shows. Plus, we'll have a local radio broadcast for that. Uh, but next Sunday night, getting you ready, we'll have the Sunday night with Speed City. And go to our website, speedcitybroadcast.com to find out all the details. And we'll talk to you next week.